0: Hello, and welcome to episode 137 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. If you are listening for the first time, I am so glad that you decided to give the show a try. And if you've been listening for a while, thank you for continuing to include this show in your professional development journey. Now, if you are looking to give your management skills a boost this year, I am considering launching a new program specifically for managers who want to sharpen their intentional management skills. This will be a high-touch, multi-week program with limited spaces. If this sounds like something that you might want to participate in, please go to themodernmanager.com and click on the pre-registration link. There you'll be able to learn more about what I'm thinking around the design of this program and let me know if you're interested. And by pre-registering, you are not committing to anything. It doesn't cost anything to pre-register. All you are doing is helping me design the program to be most useful to you and reserving your spot so that if you do decide to join when it launches, you will for sure get one of the limited seats. Now, today's guest is Jessica Katz. Jessica's organization, Liberated Elephant, provides agile coaching and change management to transform successful startups into commanding enterprises. Jessica focuses on the human potential of the organization, how to move from where you are to where you want to be while retaining team engagement and increasing revenue. Jessica and I talk about how to more accurately estimate the time required to complete work and how to continually improve your estimates, how to get your team to adopt a mindset for effective time and task planning, and a whole lot more. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer stewart Jessica, it's really a pleasure to have you today. Thank you so much for joining me. And to kick us off, I just want to note that I was watching one of your videos and I watched this little bead experiment that you did with a webinar and it was so awesome. And I am really, I'm going to steal that into it with some of my clients too, because I think it was really enlightening and we're going to talk about it today. So, just a um, little teaser for people who are listening what this bead experiment is.
1: Great. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: So, let's just dive right in here and um, maybe you can explain what this bead experiment is and why you do it.
1: Sure. So, the bead experiment is uh, it's just a 12 ounce mason jar filled with beads. And the first thing I do is, you know, I can do this virtually in video since everything has moved to video. Um, I do it in video or I could sit it in the front of a room and I ask people to guess how many beads are in the jar and how long they think it would take them to string those beads. And I give people a few minutes to consider that. And then they start shouting out the numbers. I usually get the average is usually around 250 people guess um, for the jar. And then I tell them. Um, those are all really good guesses but when you open this jar you discover a small plastic bag filled with filled with little tiny seed beads and there's actually 456 beads in this jar and we have this conversation in the the discussion is really around why we're so bad at estimating and this is one of the examples one of the reasons why we're so bad at it is because we don't really know what's in a request until we open the request the jar itself actually has around 456 beads so people are usually way off, occasionally I'll get somebody kind of close to that number and I'll applaud them for their good guessing skills. Uh, but that's the point we're trying to get across is when you're making an estimate, you're really guessing. Uh, it's particularly true in knowledge work and um, you have no idea how long things are going to take until you're done. So an estimate is just a way to make a good guess.
0: Well, so why are we so bad at guessing? Because I also think that we're very bad at, at estimating and at guessing how long something's going to take. And I've read a little bit about this, but in your experience, why are people so
1: terrible at this? Sure. So um, there are two, two things that come into play. One is something called a planning fallacy. We assume everything will go great and we don't really take into account all the things that could go wrong. And that is fueled by a cognitive bias called an optimism bias. We just generally assume things are gonna be wonderful. It's just part of the way we're wired as a species to look forward and think positively. Now we sometimes see the flip side, but you see the flip side of that, that less often where you have somebody sort of fatalistic about it and thinks things will go terribly. But generally speaking, that's where we go. The more known quantity you have, so let's say you were gonna make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You're probably going to get really close to that guess. It's a small task. It's a task you've probably done once or twice before, unless you're in, you know, Australia where they prefer Vegemite to to peanut butter. But the, um, you know, there's some tasking that you've had experience with. Um, you've probably done it a lot in your lifetime, especially if you have children, and it's really easy, short, and small. But when we talk about knowledge work or the work of running a business or doing sales or figuring out how to solve problems for people. We're really talking about knowledge work and there's no telling what will show up while we go through that process. So this really like puts us in a
0: predicament. I feel like. like when we're trying to plan our day or our week or our projects, like if we're bad at guessing and we don't have good ways to estimate, or maybe we do and I just don't know them, like what are we supposed
1: to do? Well, there's a couple of rules of thumb, and we can borrow this from both Scrum and Kanban, which are two practices that are in the Agile community. The first practice you can do is make things very, very small. Make it to the smallest thing you can do that still has value. So in sales, maybe you're making a phone call, right? Making a phone call to potentially grab a lead. That would be a very small thing you could do, as opposed to trying to get 20 leads that week. Right? You're focused on the action you can take to get to that. Or if you're in uh, customer service, the first thing you have to do is understand the problem. So you break it down to just that task. But if I understand the problem, I will have gained some value that helps me solve the problem. So those are, that's the first order of business is make it very, very small. Because the smaller it is, the easier it is to guess how long it'll take for you. The uh, next thing to do is to narrow your focus on just one item at a time. And really understand how long it takes you, you know, basically build empirical evidence data that will tell you how long these things take that you do over and over again. And then use the data to make more informed guesses so they're slightly better. So I want to talk about each of these for a second because I think they're really, really insightful and
0: so practical. And I think about, like, the way that I plan an agenda with a meeting. And, you know, when I think about, okay, so we're going to do, like, a round robin and everyone's going to have a chance to, like, weigh in on something if I know there are going to be eight people in the meeting and I know each person is probably going to talk for two minutes, I now have a way to say, okay, I need 15 minutes or so for that segment of the meeting, as opposed to like my instinct would be like, okay, I'll plan 10 minutes for that. And so I love this of it getting small and specific because it allows us, I guess, maybe you can stack these things to say, okay, if I have to do this blog article, I can now break it down into an hour of research 45 minutes of writing, half an hour of editing. Now I can stack them together to get a better estimate overall, as opposed to like my optimistic thinking of, well, I can do that whole thing in an hour. Am I, am I on the right track here?
1: Yes, you're absolutely on the right track here. And if you started down that path, let's say, let's use your blogging example, you're going to do research and then write and then edit. So um, you would actually break those down and write down how long it actually took you. And then use that over time. If you write blogs regularly, use that over time to give better estimates um, so that you then start to really understand on average, if it's a subject I know about, I know something about, and I know where to look for the data, it's going to take me this much time. And if it's a subject that's new to me, and I don't know where to look for the data or the information to build that blog, then it's going to take me around to this much time. And then you have a much better sense of how long does this take?
0: Are there ways that you like to track that kind of information? Like, is this something you just, like, write it down in a spreadsheet or just keep track on a piece of paper? Or are there digital tools or something that you tend to use to help or that you recommend to help people kind of keep track of their
1: projections versus their actuals? Yeah. So I want to I put a little caution in here before I offer these tools. So um, the idea here is just to collect data for a little bit. You don't have to do this forever and if you feel like your your estimates and your actuals have changed over time you might do it again later but you don't need to time track forever we don't want to make our lives miserable with all this time tracking so you want something that's really simple and lightweight excel or google sheets or something like that great tool for capturing that sort of thing you could definitely jot it down on a piece of paper and then put it into an electronic format later perfectly reasonable approach trello and asana are some really easy to integrate with tools for tracking tasks and time on those tasks. There's another tool out there that I have ordered one, I haven't used it yet because I want to try it, um, called Time Flip. And it's essentially like a a 12-sided die. And you can, every time you flip one side up, that's what you're working on. And so it sort of automates the, the act of tracking, how much time it takes you to do an activity. In that particular case, I'm trying to figure out how much I'm just being distracted by social media. So uh, that's a different experiment I'm trying to to find out what distractions are are showing up for me um, in my day to day life.
0: Okay, so we've broken down our tasks into things that are more knowable and smaller, so we can have better and more accurate estimates. We are tracking those against our projections versus our actuals, and then what do we do once we know that information? Is there a a practice that will help us? You know, is this just now a matter of saying, okay, now I can better schedule my week or is there something else that we should be doing to make ourselves more efficient?
1: Um, Well, if it's just you, then you get to decide how you use that information. Oh, well, I thought it only took me an hour to write a blog. It actually takes me three hours to write a blog. Then I need to schedule three hours. And really blocking out that time. I know, you know, as I I also write. So um, as a writer, I know really blocking out the time for all of those activities that you talk about is very important for me. So really blocking the time and saying this is the time I'm going to dedicate to this space. And I know I have enough time because I have this evidence that has shown me that I have enough time can work really great for sort of personal time management. If you have a team of people that you're trying to help in that same vein, The team then has to come together and decide, all right, based on our empirical evidence, this is when we think as a team we can accomplish this kind of work, and here's who's going to work on it and how we're going to schedule that. Uh, And that can give, um, that can help organizations. So one of the challenges we run into in companies is that they don't know how to predict when they're going to start receiving um, output or outcomes from the work that their teams are doing. And using empirical data can get the, um, get the accuracy rate better. The caution I have for that is that the further away you are from done, the less you know about something. And so your guesses are going to be worse. And the closer you get to when things are done, the more you know about something, the more likely your guesses are right. So if I remember correctly, something else I heard
0: in one of your presentations was this idea that a plan is just a lie that we're all agreeing to for the time being. Is that? That's right. Yeah. Tell us more about that because I think it's really interesting to think about how we are kind of obsessed with planning in some ways and you know, goal setting and figuring all these steps, but then we're, we're really not good at following often, following our own plans, um, whether that's as an individual or as a team. And also we're like really bad at estimating how long things are going to be. And so those plans end up being obsolete really quickly.
1: Yes. So um, there's something called the uncertainty, the cone of uncertainty, and uh, essentially says that we are something like four and a half times wrong to 0.25 times wrong every time we at the beginning of a plan. So we first hear about something, we make a plan for it. We're four and a half times wrong to 0.25 times wrong. So like a year long plan could mean four years or five years, right? So again, we see this, if we make it very small, it's easier to make a better guess or we're let, you know, the, the variance between our guess and our actual, it becomes more tolerable. So we're really bad at planning. What happens in our organizations is we throw out this idea that we're, we know we're very wrong at and somebody writes a plan about it. And then we get plan-focused instead of outcome-focused as a whole. And just generally speaking, some places are better or worse at these particular things. So at the beginning, a plan is a lie we've all agreed to. We essentially said, this is the plan we're going to go forward on with what we know right now. The best action that organizations can take is to not stay so focused on the dates of the plan, but instead focus on the outcomes that you're trying to achieve with the plan and adjust the plan so that you continue to achieve the outcomes you want to achieve.
0: So I'm thinking about how this like plays out for a team and and what this really means in practice. So can you say more about like how we need to, like how teams or how you've seen a team do well with adjusting their plan, given things that are changing and things that they're learning
1: along the way? Sure. I worked with an organization once that they they didn't know exactly what would make their target market happier with their product. And so they decided that they knew they wanted to, that one of their outcomes was greater customer satisfaction and increased customer referral. So they were using a net promoter score as their measurement. So um, what they did is they have a baseline, they have their product as it exists now, and they did a real sort of quick and dirty prototype that was good enough that they could put it in production. They didn't go for perfect. They weren't trying to make it that, end-all and be-all that a customer would want, they could stick it in production. And then they selected, um, based on demographics, they selected a group of users of the tool that would see that experience instead of their existing experience, and then they ran net promoter scores on that to see if their idea would be effective in their market. They were focused on their outcome and the measurement that indicated that outcome, instead of focused on, well we've come up with this new idea, we have to get get it delivered, and it has to be perfect to, to put it in front of the customer. So really quick experimentation around our assumptions is a way we can improve our plan. So this is, that's such a great
0: example of kind of be like good enough to go, like just experiment and learn as you're going. And I'm thinking that there's probably also circumstances where like the context changes. And so it's not that maybe you, you need to learn something in particular in order to get to the outcome, but that, you know, you're like, I'm, I'm thinking about a, a project I'm working on with a client right now where the pandemic hit in the middle of it and we had to change gears. Like we had to just pause what we were doing and reshift and rethink what's the best use of this team's time and how do we make, you know, is this project still relevant right now? And I, I wonder, like, is, is there practice for that in, in how um, either agile teams work or how you approach teamwork? Because I feel like most teams, we just keep going down the path regardless
1: of, like, what's happening around us. Yeah. So ideally, you have somebody that's looking at the, the whole product lifecycle, and um, it's typically called a product owner if you're in Scrum or a product manager in the, on the business side, some sort of person who's looking at who's doing the balance of of viability, desirability, and feasibility. So really looking for that balance of those three things. Desirability is will the market like it and use it? Feasibility is, is it possible? Is the thing that I'm trying to do actually possible to do if it's a technology project? You know, do we have the technology for it? Or do I have the skills and people around for it? Do I have the equipment for it? Right. Those sorts of things. Um, and then viable is, does it make good business sense? Will I see a return on it? Do I suspect that I'll see a return on investment that makes the effort worth it? So somebody's looking at that balance. Um, hopefully it's more than just that one person. They're leveraging you know, the business folks, they're leveraging customer um, interviews and, and those sorts of things. And they're also leveraging whoever the technical delivery team would be given their personal project. So we, if we have a situation that comes up like COVID, where the market completely shifts underneath people, this is a good moment. It should be a cue for that product person to pause and investigate what the market needs in that moment. Market shifted. Now I need to look at what the market needs. In Scrum, we do, um, we do these looks every, every couple of weeks to a month, every two weeks to a month um, in what's called a review meeting where you look at what's been delivered. And one of the questions that should be answered is, have we delivered enough value? Have we achieved... The, I guess more than one question, a few questions that should be answered. Have we, have we delivered enough value? Have we achieved the outcomes we want to do? Is it worth it to continue spending money on delivering more value?
0: That, I, I'm like imagining how many people are like, what? Every like two to four weeks you should be asking, should we keep going? Like that's kind of mind blowing
1: as an approach to how teams work. Am I the only one here who's like, that's crazy? It does feel crazy the first time you hear it, but imagine how much more responsibility everyone in your organization will have if they're asking those questions every two weeks.
0: All right, so let's shift and say I buy into these concepts and I'm like, yes, I need my team to get better at projecting and planning and estimating and we wanna be better and more responsive and not just kind of keep going down paths and adhering to plans that don't make sense anymore. So now I got to get my team bought into this idea too. Are there strategies or approaches that you suggest
1: managers can use to help bring their team members into this kind of process? Oh, that is a big can of worms. Here's what I see most. I'm going to talk about what I see most in in the technology industry. And I, I want to state that this is cross applicable to the business agility space as well. So you can cross apply this to human resources, finance, marketing, sales. You name it, it can be cross applied to those environments. Technology just happens to be my background. So I'm going to focus there first. My experience is that what typically happens is a manager or a leader inside the organization hears a podcast like this and they go, Oh, this agile thing, I'm going to go learn about it. And they've been hearing about this agile thing from their peers that are at their level in the industry. And they're like, Oh, well, agile's the thing. We should be doing agile. Clearly, that's the thing. And they get this grand idea and they're like, we're going to do agile. And what typically happens in those environments is they bring in a bunch of training and they maybe set up a couple of teams to try it out, or they try and big bang approach it and put it into all the teams. And that can go okay. That can go okay. What often gets missed in that space is that there's an actual mindset shift that has to happen before the doing, the actions start to take hold in a meaningful way. And the mindset shift is the part that takes the longest. Um, it's it's not just, oh, I think this is a good idea because everybody's doing it. We should do it too. It's, hey, these people are doing it. These folks are having success with it. And they're having success with it because they've intrinsically, they intrinsically understand the mindset shift that's necessary. And I'm going to go down the journey of making that mindset shift so I can lead well in that environment.
0: So if I... If I'm making that kind of mind shift for myself and I want to bring my team kind of along that journey as well, right? So like I, I'm I'm maybe not going quite as far as being like, we're going to be an agile team, right? But I'm saying like, I want us to have good time management, good project management kind of practices. Like, is there, is there a particular, like, should I have a meeting where we like do the bead activity and like, we talk about this stuff together? Like, should we just all listen to this podcast and like then have a conversation? Is there something that is, that can kind of help get us
1: all to that same place faster? Yeah. So the fastest way to get there is what I would recommend is a facilitated meeting so that you as the leader and the team can be in the conversation together without having to worry about the flow of that discussion. You bring somebody else in to sort of help facilitate the discussion so you get to the outcomes you want from that that conversation. Having a really good vision for what you hope will be true on the other side of that transition would be useful. So um, do you want, are you looking for more predictability? Are you looking for better time management? Are you looking for less employee stress? What is the outcome you're looking for as a result because of this change that you're trying to make? And also... What pains are you, is your team, you as the leader and the organization experiencing because you don't have those right now? So that's a really sort of important starting point. Uh, You know, why are we doing this for real? What do we want to get out of it? And then the facilitator will work with you and the team to talk about ideas around how they can better do all of those things. And then here's really where the rubber meets the road. So you get the facilitated event happens. You have next steps and actions you're going to choose. You then have to look at them again, every two to four weeks and go, how are we doing on that goal? Are we still achieving this? And if you're in the position of leadership, you have to lean in to living the outcome you want with vulnerability, which means you have to actually model the behaviors you're expecting. So if you want folks to work at a more sustainable pace, for example, and not have to work 60 hour weeks so that they're to managing their time better, then you also have to manage your time better and sort of um, uh, drink your own champagne.
0: I love that. I mean, I'm, I'm such a big fan of role modeling leadership behaviors throughout. You can't ask your people to do things that you're not willing to do in that way. And, you know, it also makes me think going back to where we were earlier on getting better at time estimations that if you discover that you're spending a lot more time on something than you anticipated, there's probably ways to set goals for efficiency around those things too. So, you know, going back to our blog article, if I, if I, really want to get my entire blog process down to two hours, I can set a personal goal and practice to become more efficient at my research or be more efficient at my writing. And that can help me get into that, you know, 40 hour work week or 50 hour work week instead of my 60 or 70 hour work week. So kind of going back to just the more data we have, the easier it is for us to kind of be the kind of manager we want to be and spend the time
1: on the things that we want to prioritize. Yeah, there's a, um, for managers and leaders, the efficiency gains, there's a tremendous amount of efficiency, efficiency that can be gained if they just spend 15 minutes every morning thinking through what are the things I need to accomplish today to achieve whatever goals I've been working on. The reality of being a leader is you're usually interrupted a lot. Uh, people come and ask you questions and there's uh, meetings that happen throughout the day. And so there's a lot of your consci- your, your ability to stay focused on your goals gets lost throughout the day. So if you spend 15 minutes every morning at the first part of your day, really like writing the list, these are the things I'm going to work on today. There's a couple of benefits that come out of that. One, you now have a focus for your day. Two, when things pop up, you can make a decision about whether or not that thing that has popped up is more important than the stuff you decided to do that day. So can it be delegated? Can it be delayed? Somebody pops up in your thing. Is it really an emergency or are you just responding to it because it's in your face?
0: I love this. I mean, that's, that is totally how I run my day. And I have to just say like my most frustrating thing is when I write down my top three things I need to get done. And then I look at my calendar and I go there's no way I'm going to get those things done today because my meeting schedule or whatever else is going on is just not going to allow it. And so thinking about, you know, be like, if I know if I'm able to predict more accurately how long those activities are going to take, I can figure out how to structure my days to get to those things. Or, you know, what does it mean if I need to shift some things around in my schedule to make it work? Because I, I know that when I look at you know, sometimes at the end of the day, I'm going, how did I not get those things done? It's because I misrepresented or I mispredicted how long something was going to take. So it, it all, it comes full circle to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite mispredictions that happens, I think happened more when we were working in offices, but I think probably still happens with, you know, Slack and Teams messaging and chat and all the other tools we have now to stay connected is that, oh yeah, let me just talk to so-and-so. It'll only take me 10 minutes. I have never known an only going to take me 10 minutes conversation only last 10 minutes. You know, if you're really diving into the relationship building that is also necessary as a leader or as even just a person working in an environment with other people, those conversations tend to take 20 to 30 minutes. So,
0: so, so, so true. All right. So we need to shift gears here because we are running out of time, sadly. So Jessica, tell us about a great manager that you had and what made this person so fantastic.
1: So one of the greatest managers I ever had, her name was Cecile Weiser. Um, So hopefully she'll listen to this and get a little jazz out of it. Um, But she, what really made her great is she gave me space to vent when I needed to vent. She acknowledged what I was skilled at and she blocked and tackled when the environment, when, when I was doing something I should be doing and the environment wasn't open to that action. So she was pretty amazing in that way. Uh, I felt, I always felt seen and heard by her and supported and challenged. Oh, she sounds amazing. And where can people learn more about you and keep up with your work? The best way to learn about me is to follow me on LinkedIn. uh, It's the one that works the best in my industry. I'm also on Twitter, but LinkedIn is the best source. And um, I post up when I'm doing classes and speaking and Uh, sometimes just fun ideas and polls and stuff. So people can follow me there or they can catch my website and go look at my events calendar to find out what's happening in my world. www.liberatedelephant.com.
0: Thank you so much again for joining me today and for talking through all these different time management and agile practices that all of us non-techie people can do.
1: I'm glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me.
0: If you are a member of the Modern Manager community, you get 15% off a one-hour coaching session with Jessica to help you improve your leadership, intentionally design your career path, or better navigate your life and work in alignment with your core principles. To join and get that discount, along with dozens of other guest bonuses and episode guides, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. And if you want to do even more around accurately predicting your work, check out last week's episode, number 136, with Owen McGabb and Nauho. In that episode, we talk about how to efficiently document your work processes so that everyone can be on the same page about what work needs to get done, and you can also include the amount of time each step should take so that, again, you can more accurately understand your workloads. Check out sweetprocess.com slash modernmanager where you can get an extended free trial and discounted price on the software. Of course, all the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Don't forget that while you are there, you can also learn more and pre-register for the Modern Manager intensive program that I am considering launching. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues and move work forward. To learn how we do it, Visit Meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team. I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at MamieKS.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.